0: Well, this huge subject tonight, uh, we pray that God will give revelation. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me? We'll just read a few verses. We haven't time to read a lot. Um, from Genesis, we'll start there. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. I heard that somewhere. In the beginning, God, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. Well, we'll stop there. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look a little bit. We'll work our way through it if we have time. You know, we live in a very wonderful place. I hope you realize that. I went for a walk in the woods this morning. Just wonderful, isn't it? You know, the beech trees are just flushed, and they're that lovely green, and the bluebells are there, and the birds were singing, and just wonderful. These incredible, and then there's great stands of conifish, magnificent things. Who made all these? They are magnificent. And then he, you know, on any level, I remember meeting a guy, who well, was a professor of mine. I met him by chance, and we talked about his subject. And he lectured in entomology, bugs, ticks, mites, lice, flies, a wonderful subject. But he said to me, every time I look down a microscope, he said, I just get excited. And I thought, well, that's right. That's the only way to fly. That's right. But also, if you've ever done biochemistry, uh, you know, that, that what goes on in a cell it is amazing. The cell is in your body, all the cells in your body, in, in those trees, in the flowers, in the rabbits. Every cell is just a, a factory of, of just incredible complexity. You know, you got the Krebs cycle, the nit- citric acid cycle, all these little esters and acids. It's just incredibly wonderful creating. It is amazing. When I go through the woods, it's happening in all of them, every one, millions of them. It's amazing. And then you look up to the sky and you look at the universe and it's 83 billion light years across our our universe. A light travels at 186,000 miles a second. That's quick, you know. And traveling at that level, you know, our nearest star is 25 uh, million miles. Even traveling at that level, 25 million light years. And then, you know, our galaxy, even our little galaxy, the Milky Way, is 20,000 light-years across. And, um, you know, there are 100 billion galaxies. Well, you know, our minds have, have lost. We've, we've, we've gone off the edge, haven't we? And it's very difficult. And the average galaxy, you've got a million stars and one, some galaxies have 10 to the 24 naught number of stars. It's just amazing. And it's all there. But, you know, we we, we don't understand it all. We don't ever think we get it. I mean, in fact, the writer, the Hebrews, puts it well. He says, look, by faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command. At the end of the day, and the beginning of the day, that's where we start. By faith. It's a mystery. We're finite people. See, the problem is, we are two things. We are finite, we're limited, we're tiny, tiny things, people. But also our minds are darkened because of sin. That's what Paul says, and that's the the message of the Bible. Something has gone wrong with our thinking, not in a rational sense, but spiritually, we can't do it. And so God has to reveal himself. But the Bible is not that we stand on judgment of God and try and evaluate him. He's not in the dark. That's not what it's about, We come and bow before him. And so let's just work a few things. The first thing is that God simply is. He doesn't try and prove in the Bible at all. Um, And he discloses himself in two ways, two books. The books of creation, nature, and the book of the scriptures. These are his two books that he's chosen to reveal himself. And he says, in the beginning, God... um, He, he creates before time. We don't get that. See, we, we live in a, a, an existence where there's a passage of moments of time. God lives out of that. He lives in an existence where there's no passage of time. He creates time. He creates the history in one sense, if you like. But the thing we have to ask is, well, why did he do it? Why, let, what, let's assume in, in the beginning, God, I believe in God the Father creator of heaven. Why did he create? Well, the clue's in the pre- creed. He is a father before he's a creator, right? Before the worlds began, He, from all eternity, he lived with the son, the pre-existing son, the logos, if you like, as John calls him. And the Holy Spirit together in harmony and bliss. There is no need in God. God is absolutely sufficient. They live in a harmony of joy, together. He and the and the Son, and um, in the beginning was the Word. That's it. The Logos, and the Word was with God, literally face to face with God. And the Word was God. All things were made by Him. This is the second person of Trinity, Jesus. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And not only that, the Holy Spirit's involved. As we, as we, we read, now that the earth was, um, was formless and empty, darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you, you, the three are involved Father, Son, and Spirit. I say the, the word is Elohim, it's a plural word, but you've got a singular noun. Sorry, wrong way around. Sorry, if you have a singular verb, it's a plural, plural noun, Elohim. And you've got a singular verb. Because all three involve. And God is one. That's the great Shemar, isn't it? Deuteronomy. The Lord, our God, is one. That's the great thing. But the thing is, what are they doing? They're having a bore, my friend. The Father, Son, and Spirit, they live in exquisite harmony and joy and bliss and rapture. You cannot conceive it of the joy that's in God. There is no need in God whatsoever. So why does he create? Why? Well, a pastor once said to a couple, why do you have a child? Not to look after you in your old age, because that obviously doesn't work. But... um, (laughs) No, this is you know quite really well. You know because of the love they shared with each other, they just wanted to bring another little being into their life, to enjoy that love that they had. Now it's what's happened is exactly here. God is in perfect love and, and joy with the Father and the Spirit, sort of with Son and the Spirit, and He wants others to come into a relationship with Him, and so He creates. That's how it happens. He creates, and um, he is infinite, but he's also personal. He's not just a little deity like some of these other gods. He is infinite, but not everything is God since the war. Especially in the West, there's been a great influence of pantheism, pan-all theism. All is God. It's been a massive influence in, in the Western philosophy and thinking. It's very prevalent now to some degrees. You know, how we, we worship nature. is almost worshipped by people in our culture even. And, um, and not only that, you know, <laughs> eventually we become as gods. Shirley MacLaine, the actress, says, well, we're all gods. Well, if it's pantheism, if it's, we're all gods. But actually, it's not true that. Not according to our Bible. Because God... Because creation um, changes, and our God never changes. Creation is evil in it, but our God is holy. So it's wrong, is that? God is separate from his creation. And, um, but the thing is, why is it written? What's the point of it? Now, we might get a bit controversial, but we'll try our best not to. None of the Bible is written to you. Not one word is written to you. But it's all written for you. In other words, this book, Genesis, written by Moses, if not written by, certainly edited by him, probably in the 15th century before Jesus, edited probably later, when the uh, Israelites were in exile in Babylon. Now, why is it? It is written to them. You have to see it in this context. It's not written as a scientific book. It didn't draw out of the sky. It's in ordinary language. It's not tw- 20th century scientific language. But it is, it's a purpose. It's trying to show them who he is. He's writing to his covenant people, the Jews. they just come out of Egypt. Egypt, remember, is polytheistic. Many gods. All the plagues. Each plague represents an Egyptian god. And Yahweh, the true god of bomb them all. They're about to enter into Canaan. Canaan, all the Baals, all that lot. But not only that, the great overriding myth was the great Enumeralish, the great Babylonian creation myth. Now why I mention all these things? Because in all of them, there are many gods. He's writing, first for several reasons. But the main reason, this is the true God. He is the one God. All these other gods are no gods. In fact, there's all, I won't say sarcasm, but he won't even enter <laughs> into this debate. You know, some people, for instance, in Egypt, they worship Ra, the sun god. Uh, some worship the moon. I mean, Abraham, I mean, you remember, he was a moon worshiper in Ur of the Kaldi's. He was a moon worshiper. He's writing to show that this God is one God. In fact, he will not call them sun and moon. He won't give them a name. He just calls them lesser and greater lights. The sun is, is a greater light for the day and the moon for the, for the, for the night. And of course, others worship the stars, you know? And there's a wonderful throwaway line in verse, in verse 6, 16. He says, and he also made the stars. It's a wonderful line. I mean, you can't believe how sacred star worship was. And, I mean, you cannot believe it. Well, you do. How many people in Britain, in this so-called semi-educated country, read their stars every day? Well, I'll just see what, what the stars are saying. It's not just my relatives. Your relatives do it as well, you know. No, they don't, I'm sure. But there's amazing amount of people think that their future is determined by these great lumps of rock flying around and... You know, but this—what he's saying is—he won't have any of that. This is written as a confession. This is the living God. This is the, uh, the prologue to the whole of the Bible, certainly to the Torah. This is what I what I am. He's saying, and um, and you've got to accept that creation and history now come into place because of Him. This is the God of Jacob of. Abraham Isaac Jacob and Joseph it's this is god and this is the prologue right now then thing he creates in the beginning god it says he creates out of nothing nothing is not a subject a substance by the way nothing is nothing now um it means it's not always been there it says he bara, the word Hebrew means bara. It's used 30 odd times. Only of God, only God can bara. It means to create out of nothing. Nobody else can do that. And um, he creates out of nothing. Now, I know people say, well, so there is a creation. It's not always been there. Well, even modern scientists have say, well, there isn't obviously a beginning to time. There was a big bang. He said, you will. How did it happen? How did it happen? Well, they said there's a quantum vacuum. Okay, but actually, that is not nothing. You're making something, you know, you're going back again. The Bible says and affirms that this God created all things from nothing. There's no pre-existing materials. There's no IKEA flat pack there, my friends, you know. The heavens are yours and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that's in it. And he creates it simply by speech. It's purposeful. It's purposeful. And that we haven't time to go through verses 3 to 25. The point of it all. And I don't think I could do all the debates about the day. I I personally think it's to do with day in one sense. In one sense. um, But what he's saying is that actually when you think about it, God doesn't need a day to do anything. It must be symbolic in one sense. Why would he need 24 hours when he could do it like that? But that's another story. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a figure of switch for his power. God speaks. It precludes any random chance. Or, uh, uh, and he, this is the key to cause of creation. It's full of order. Eight times, he says. And God said. And that was also his command. It was fulfillment. it came to be. And it was. Now the point about this, it's very significant because the whole enterprise of science is based on this, isn't it? There is order, it's not a chaos. It's a cosmos, something ordered and shaped. There's pattern, there's form, there's laws, there's principles. Because God made it that way. Even Einstein, who was not a believer in any way, says, you know, the incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's comprehensible. (laughs) And eight specific commands. So they're no, they're, they leave no room for a universe that's self-existent or random. Or just even a projection of God himself. No, it's separate. That's why, you know, you should study science. you have nothing to fear from science. You, you know, it's wonderful. It's great. The, the science we've nothing to fear from truth. All truth is God's truth. The problem is <laughs> scientists have a habit of becoming philosophers. Then you start worrying. But that, as I said, that's for another day. But, you know, um, God is, you know, totally secure in, in his, all he is. He's at peace. And, and the interest the first blessing in the scriptures is not to, to, to man, but to other creatures, isn't it? Which he values and cherishes and and, cre- and treats us valuable, obedient, and faithful creatures. In fact, if you go to the Sermon on the mount, Jesus is the same, how he treats other creatures. But it's interesting, Francis um, Collins, who was one of the protagonists of the great um, Human Genome uh, Project, he says this, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew you were coming. There are 15 constants. You know, the gravitational constant, various constants about you know, the strong and the weak, nuclear forces, etc. Now what he's saying is, if any of these constants were off, even by a, one in a million part, or in, by one of them, by one in a million, million parts, it was just off. There could not be life. There is this anthropic principle, this principle, this design... The, it's ready for us it's ready for us God has so prepared now I know the argument was designed I know there are many you, it's not a scientific proof that I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of the arguments but anybody anybody eyes of faith can see there is design. it's wonderfully made but um, it's fine tuned you see and it permits us human beings to live and and um, all the rest of it. Now, you see, if there's no creator, actually, there is no meaning in life. When you think about it, if it's all matter. You remember this day? It's me, Carl Sagan, professor in uh, Cornell years ago. Said, you know, he said, the universe is all there is, all there has been, all there will be, and matter is God. Now, when you think about it, that's the prevailing philosophy. Of our western world. Only thing that matters is matter. You go to the average funeral. Or the crematorium. They all say well that's it. You know in the heart that's it. But actually it's not it. Matter is not all that matters. Um, and, uh, but they say well matter is all that matters. And you know the thing is. We uh, every seven years we change all our matter don't we. All ourselves are replaced aren't they. There are four little bits that are not replaced. We won't go into that. But most of it is replaced. I think it was Joel Virgo who said, one of his friends were talking about, this criminal was caught and he'd committed a crime seven or eight years before. And he brought him in the dark. He could say, actually, the matter that did that crime doesn't exist anymore. The person that did that crime is gone. Well, the judge, even though he was an atheist, wouldn't buy that one. Because he knows, actually, we are more than matter. There's something more to us than matter. And um, and that's where we are. But the thing is, God created all these things to be enjoyed. And God loves what He made. That's why I like to go in the woods every morning. And you know that you, you feel they're worshipping God by being what they are, and God loves it. Read the Psalms if we time to go through Psalm and Psalm eight, Psalm 104 and Four and well, I won't go through them all, but it's just full of them. Just, and God loves what he's made. It's, it was good, he says. And there's a sort of extravagant, there's extravagant uh, uh, diversity. As John Calvin says, the creation is, is the theater of God's glory. And um, it's not, God's not a boring egghead who just thinks up calculus and algebra and geometry for poor school kids, you know. No, no. He's not like that. Actually, my friends who do mass, serious mass, thinks mass is the most beautiful thing in the world. A friend of mine thinks that, or did. I never got that, but she did. But and I'm sure she's right. Actually, I'm sure it's incredibly beautiful. is mass, uh, if you understand it, and um, but you see, God is not only just a lawgiver in the, this. He's not simply the great king, the great suzerain. He is not even the source of wisdom and logic. He is the great artist, right? The earth was, he says, the earth was formless and, and empty. You know, Tohu Wabohu. Know, but like a master potter, he comes and he shapes this lump of clay into something exquisitely beautiful. I mean, whatever you think about creation, it's incredibly beautiful. Even though it's fallen, that's, as in, that's for another day. Even in its fallen state, when it's red in tooth and claw, it's still beautiful. And then, you know, if you move down even the at- 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 subatomic level, God, that is incredibly wonderful, isn't it? And, um, but then he says, you know, there's incredible variety in all the plants. You go to Wisley or Kew Gardens or your garden. Don't come to mind. But, you know, there's incredible beauty. As one little girl said to her pastor, she said, you know... She said, wouldn't it have been awful if God, the only vegetable God had produced was the cabbage? <laughs> well, fortunately, there are a few others. But, um, I mean, you know, I, look at the stars. I mean, our, our sun is just is a million times bigger than our Earth. And uh, it, it's just one star in a hundred billion in our galaxy with a hundred billion galaxies. Why so many? Why so many? Wouldn't it, wouldn't, this, wouldn't it be rather boring if you just two stars tonight? Just two. <laughs> just two. But astronomy is just wonderful. You know? The heavens declare the glory of God. You know? The, God, the universe is God-sized. One of my great heroes, Jim Elliott, says, You know, when we get to heaven, it would be a great eye opener and a great mouth shutter. And I think sometimes know, just the glory of it. Let let, let faith arise. This is just God's size. Get get you down to your proper size, you human beings. Arrogant little things. Arrogant. No. God makes it all an extravagant glory. It's interesting. When God comes on earth as a man, what's the first miracle he does? Not raising the dead or healing the sick. The first miracle is at a party. A party. He gets some jars, 180 gallons of of such, almost of of, of water. And turns it into wine. Not your five pound Tesco bottle stuff. No, this is 100 pound of bottle stuff. This is gallons of it. This is unbelievably good stuff. It's just sheer extravagance. It's significant. That's the first miracle he does when he comes on earth. But that's for another day, as they say. But there's an extravagance in the animal kingdom. He says, let the waters teem with living things. You look at Blue Planet on BBC. It's just amazing. All these creatures they're finding. Nobody sees them except the Lord. (laughs) And he says, let the land produce living creatures. It's amazing, isn't it? Those. Birds of paradise in Papua New Guinea, the peacock. I went to a lecture once on the, uh, the, the why the peacock's feather is. as it because it is? It was just unbelievable. And then hummingbirds, just wonderful. It beats me why a, a dull female bird needs all that flash to get attracted. <laughs> I don't think. I think. I think the thing is, it's just the wonder and the humor of God. And he creates something incredibly beautiful. That's that's what it's about. Let your mind enlarge, you know. And all we could go on animals all day long. And always been very fond of animals, wild and not so wild. But Jim Packer says this: the message of these two chapters is this. You've seen the see, You've seen the sea. The sky. The sun, the moon, the stars. You've watched the birds and the fish. You've just observed the landscape, the vegetation, the animals, the insects, and all the, the big things and the little things together. You've marveled at the wonderful complexity of human beings with all their powers and skills and the deep feelings of fascination and attraction and affection that men and women arouse in each other. Fascinating, isn't it? Well, now, meet the one who is behind it all. As if to say, now, you've enjoyed these works of art. You must shake hands with the artist. If, you know, you are thrilled with the music, we, we will introduce you to the composer. It was to show us the creator. This was to show us the creator rather than the creation. And to teach us Knowledge of God rather than physical science at Genesis 1 and 2. It's very interesting in Job. He says, When the morning star, it was just a creation, when the morning stars sang together and, and the angels shouted for joy. This is a the creation. They shouted because they, they obviously were created before uh, the universe. And when God created them universe, all, all these unfallen angels said, Wow, they shouted for joy amazing when they saw it right and God said that's good right See, God, creation God is, creation is amazing but it is nothing like the glory and the amazingness of God it's what you've got to get hold of you see science is wonderful I did it for many years many years ago When the earth was cooling down, you know, it seems seems a long while ago. But, uh, you know, science can only tell you so many things. It's like if if I said to my wife, let me kiss you. And she said, and what's a kiss? And as a good scientist, I could say, well, it it was caused by neck muscles movements, reducing the distance between two pair of lips and a reciprocal um, transmission of carbon dioxide and microbes and a contraction of the orbicular muscles. Well, you could go, it is that. But surely you'll bear with it, it, be talking something far greater love and relationship. And that's what this book's about. It's about relationship. And then his pièce his de Resistance, he, he says, let us, let us the. the the plural of majesty, or the plural of even trinity, let us make man in our own image. And man is a special creation. However you want to come to it, he's a special work. He's he's not just an animal. Oh, well, he has a mammalian body. I don't I don't doubt that. And the same amino acids are used to to create his chromosomes as well as the others. I was looking at a Ford catalogue last night. All the Ford cars, from the cheap ones to the real posh ones, they all they're all the you can tell the Fords because actually they were made from, by the same design shop. We are related, in some sense, to mammalians because we have the same maker. Not necessarily we descended from them, but we have, certainly we have the same maker and designer. And, um, but we are different. We alone are Lord and made in His image and His likeness. He alone, we are the apex of creation. We're the zenith of all that He made. And He said, It's good. We alone are made in the image of God. We're not just another species, my friends. And we're made as the federal head. What happens to man will happen to the rest of His progeny. And then, of course, He creates this wonderful thing called woman. It's not good for man to be alone. And he creates this woman, another special creation. But we know the story, and you no doubt will cover it as we go through this, um, this series. But you know that man, uh, man fell. Man listened to these uncreated spirits. The devil, he come and he listens. And he doubts God's goodness. He doubts God's wisdom. He doubts God's love, and he chooses autonomy, and I'll do my own thing. And the sad thing is darkness came, death entered. And Paul says, through, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, Romans 5, 12, in this way, death came to all men and death reigned through the one man. All men die, the strong ones, the clever ones. Now death has come, it reigns. There are funeral pyres now, there are graves, there are mausoleums, there are... Professions of undertakers. It's death reigns. But God has a plan. Which he actually had a plan before the world was ever made. He doesn't wipe out these little arrogant sinners, as it were. Because he has a plan for them. You won't believe this, but I'll tell you. The creator, listen, becomes a creature. It's amazing. It, they, who created a billion stars and a billion galaxies created, becomes a creature. And not that he's going to solve sort the situation. What does he do? He sends who? His son? The, the one who is, has been his delight through all eternity? His son becomes a man. That's amazing. He comes. And the sad thing is, he comes. He comes to his own tribe. The Jews and his, his own tribe don't receive him. And people tear him to pieces. They revile him with their words. They want, and, and they actually kill him. And they try to tear him to, on the cross. They, they try to uncreate. He he's uncreated. The uncreated one becomes uncreated. Why? Well, that you and I might be recreated. That's the gospel. That's a wonderful thing. He comes, and uh, of course we know the story: the father resurrects him, and gives him a new body. And uh, we'll come to that in a few weeks' time. But we're all like Adam; we're all like Adam, and we all want our own to do our own thing. The sad thing is, we're born cut off from God; we're born dead. We're born without a consciousness of God. Not only that, we're like Adam and Cain. We're running away from God. We don't want God. And there's a restlessness about us. There's a dis-peace about us. You see, the point of, of creation was Sabbath. That's the whole point of it, which we haven't time to go into. It was that men and women and the whole creation should be in, in peace and harm, Sabbath. That's the goal of it all. But man is restless. There's fighting, there's crime, there's divorce. It's just a mess. We're running away from God. We think we're running the right direction. It's like a man running a train down the corridor. He's running like mad. But he doesn't realize the train is decking him towards the judgment of God. But he's running, he's running. He thinks he's going to escape. But he's running the wrong way and the train's going. He's restless. Oh, he's doing well in business. doing well in life. But he's restless. (laughs) And he comes and Jesus comes. And we, we, we're going to do this in this series. And he comes and he calls us. And he says... And he calls us and we, we join to him. And if anyone is joined to Christ, says the apostle, there's a new creation. He's still creating. And that's what we're going to look at. And uh, he's going to create a new heaven, a new earth. And that's what we look forward to. The home of righteousness. And not only that, those of you who belong to Christ... They're not just going to be taken back and repaired like the repair shop, you know, to look lovely and like you used to be. No, no. John says it's going to even be better than that. When we see him, we should be not like I was. We should be like him. We shall be like him, the Son of God, in our mate, in our character. Wow. Two final things. I must stop. Yes, I'll miss the bus. <laughs> The, the Sabbath is restored. The peace is restored for those of you who put your trust in Him. Two things we're called to be, and I, these are subjects that we are called to be carers of creation. I went this morning. is beautiful. The beach woods are lovely. The bluebells are lovely, but the fly tipping is everywhere. Just great piles of coils of metal this morning, and ah. Oh, but that's a picture of our creation, isn't it? We pollute the oceans. We, we remove a, a forest the size of Britain every year. We pollute the atmosphere and all the rest of it. And we are called, and this is a big subject, to be good stewards of creation. But let me say this. Read the end of Psalm 104. Pollution will not have the last word. It's not all the good... not man's final responsibility... God will do it it's his planet he still owns it he's never handed the title deeds to anybody he will restore it he will recate it and the final thing is this why are you placed on earth Paul says about Jesus all things were made by him and for him we were made to worship we were made to worship when we come on this Sunday every Sunday we worship him for his great creation we don't often do that do we I don't, anyway, I confess. But actually, we worship Him that the, our God became a man. Incomprehensibly became man for our salvation. Why? For one reason, for one reason, that He might recreate you to what you were meant to be. Isn't that amazing? And we join with all the angelic hosts and say, You are worthy, O Lord, our God. To receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy forever that's why you're placed on this earth my friends to worship that's what it's all about so the first question is have you invited the creator into your life The one who makes all things new. That's the big thing. Don't lose heart. He comes to recreate. That's the gospel. Amen.